0: This week on Crossing the Lane Lines.
1: And I saw this picture. I came across it while following the hashtag, and I thought to myself, wow, wait a minute. This is another black woman in shark science. Up until this point, I had met maybe one or two black people in marine science in general. Uh, but to meet a black woman who also studied sharks was really wild. So, I immediately responded to her tweet and I said, Whoa, another black woman doing shark science, we got to be friends. And then uh, another one of our co founders, Amani Weber Schultz, and then another one, Jada Elcock, along with one or two other people, responded to this tweet as well and said, Hey, I'm also a black woman and I study sharks or studied sharks at some point. And then I believe it was Carly who made the joke, we should start a club.
0: When many think about people in marine sciences, black folk and black women in particular are not the first that spring to mind. But there is a new organization that is striving to be seen and take up space in a discipline which has been largely inaccessible to minoritized communities. We'll speak to Jasmine Graham President and CEO of Minorities and Shark Sciences about their mission, programs, ecological racism, and their efforts to dispel the myth about sharks in the Black community. All of that's coming up. Stay tuned. In San Francisco, this is Najia Lee, and you're listening to Crossing the Lane Lines. When people find out that I swim year-round in the San Francisco Bay as well as the ocean, the inevitable question always comes up. You swim where? What about sharks? To be honest, I never really think about sharks when I'm out there. But getting bumped by a harbor seal in the pitch dark on a training swim? Well, that's a different story. For many people, though, getting attacked by a shark out in the middle of the deep blue, conjuring up Steven Spielberg's acclaimed film, Jaws, often serves as a chief deterrent for not learning how to swim. Sadly, this is the case for many black folks in particular. I'm not saying it's the chief reason, but it's in the top five to be sure. But what if there was an organization out there to help dispel the misconceived notion about these so-called Predators of the deep. Wouldn't that be something? Further, what if this organization was specifically geared towards women who are underrepresented in shark sciences in general and black women in particular? Minorities in Shark Sciences is a nonprofit that strives to be seen and take up space in a discipline that has largely been inaccessible to black women. And we are joined by one of its co founders. Jasmine Graham. Jasmine received her Master's of Science in Biological Sciences from from Florida State University in 2020, and currently specializes in elasmobac ecology and evolution. Her past research interests include small-tooth sawfish movement ecology and hammerhead shark phylogeny. Jasmine Graham, welcome to Crossing the Lane Lines.
1: Thanks. Thanks for having me.
0: Jasmine, I read an article that quoted you as saying, quote, I didn't know that shark sciences was a thing, quote. I'm wondering if you could talk about when you first found out about marine sciences and shark sciences in particular.
1: Sure. Well, I mean, to be honest, I didn't even know marine science was a thing for a long time. Um, but I grew up around the ocean. My dad is my dad and his family are from Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. So I was always fishing and things like that. So I loved fishing. I I loved being around the ocean. But it wasn't actually until I was I think a in tenth or eleventh grade in high school I went to a camp, and this was a camp where they taught us about marine science. And I met some folks who were, it, were studying marine science. And that was really the first time that anyone had told me, hey, there are scientists that study fish. And so once I was presented with this idea that, oh, people get paid to study fish, I said, well, sign me up. That sounds awesome. And then as I went to college, um, I decided that I wanted to go to college and try to basically become a marine scientist. And then I met a researcher who focused on sharks. And prior to this, I was pretty indifferent to sharks. I think that a lot of people go out being afraid of sharks, but that wasn't really wasn't really on my radar or a concern. But I also wasn't like, "Woo, sharks are so cool," um, just because I had never really interacted with sharks before. And so then, whenever I started helping this uh, researcher with their uh, research. I started falling in love with sharks. And just it was just a really cool group of fish that I never really had been exposed to uh, that I found really fascinating, especially because when people think of sharks, they have usually a lot of negative sentiments towards them. And I've always been one to, to root for the underdog. So I was very interested in helping the shark species, especially once I figured out how many of them were you know, threatened um, and at risk for extinction.
0: Take us through how Minorities in Shark Sciences was founded. I've read briefly about it, but I'm wondering if you could expound for our listeners on the origins of the organization and how it took root from there.
1: Sure. Well, um, Minorities in Shark Sciences was founded on Juneteenth in 2020. And this was part of a, a, I would say, a movement that largely began with Black Birders Week on Twitter. So Black Birders Week was a response to the Christian Cooper incident uh, where a black man was accosted by a white woman in Central Park while he was birding. And there was a whole group of black birders who decided to really claim and take up space that, you know, black people have every right to be in the outdoors. Uh, this was also around the killing of Ahmad Aubrey. And it it just goes to show that black people aren't necessarily welcome in outdoor spaces um and we're often treated like we don't belong there. And so they started this movement uh using this hashtag black in nature I really encourage black folks to, to post pictures of them in nature to show the world that we enjoy nature just like everyone else and we should be able to do that safely. And so I posted a picture of me doing some shark research because most of the time when I'm in nature, I'm, I'm working with sharks. And so I posted this picture and then another one of the co-founders, Carly Jackson, posted a picture of her working up sharks. And I saw this picture. I came across it while following the hashtag. And I thought to myself, wow, wait a minute. This is another black woman in shark science. Up until this point, I had met maybe one or two black people in marine science in general. Um, But to meet a black woman who also studied sharks was really wild. So, I immediately responded to her tweet, and I said, whoa, another black woman doing shark science, we got to be friends. And then uh, another one of our co-founders, Amani Weber Schultz, and then another one, Jada Elcock, along with one or two other people, responded to this tweet as well and said, hey, I'm also a black woman, and I study sharks or studied sharks at some point. And then I believe it was Carly who made the joke, we should start a club. And we kind of really followed up on that with uh, a group chat uh, just to kind of get to know each other. And as we were talking and sharing our experiences, especially the experiences from those that left Shark Science, who said, if I would have had a community like this, I would still be doing this. And I wish I had met y'all sooner. And we decided that this is actually something that we need to do. We need to build a community because all of us felt very alone, very isolated. We were facing the same sort of barriers and obstacles and experiencing the same microaggressions. And we thought there had to be more of us out there. And so we decided to form an organization. And from the time we kind of had this idea to form this organization to the time we launched was about two weeks. Because we had this idea and we said we should launch on Juneteenth. As black women in the United States, Juneteenth holds a lot of meaning to us, so we wanted to launch on that day. So we got everything together in two weeks. Uh, we also decided that we wanted to be more than just, you know, a social club where we hang out. We wanted to try and educate the next generation of scientists coming behind us. So we had this idea for running these workshops to train people who are interested in going into this field and some of the scientific and field methods. And so we decided to also launch a fundraiser at this time to try and get money so we could have this workshop and so that we could pay to bring everyone there so that it wouldn't be an extra financial burden like a lot of these experiences are. And when we launched, we, in the first two weeks, raised $20,000. And that's when we realized, oh, this is more than just a club. This is a whole movement. There were so many people that emailed us and left messages on our social media and all these things that said, I thought I was alone. I'm so glad this exists. We had a bunch of people who... Are older, who had gotten out of marine science, gotten out of shark science because of the way they were treated, because they didn't have community, and they said, I'm so glad you're here and I'm so glad that you're going to make it better for everyone else. We also had parents of kids saying, this is the first time my kids saw someone that looked like them studying sharks. We had a little girl who had said she wanted to be the first black shark scientist and then saw us and said, oh, there already are some. This is great. Um, And so it was just a really impactful experience. And it was at that point that we decided, oh, this is something that we really need to do because we have a responsibility now. We've inspired so many people uh, and we've made so many things happen just in this first month and so that's when we decided to go for our 501c3 and start making a a formal organization out of it
0: we hear across the lane lines constantly say that representation matters i know within the broader science community women in general have far too often been marginalized or excluded and from what i gather this is particularly true for black and brown women how important is it that a group like Minorities in Shark Sciences is out there creating a space where young women can see people that look like them taking part in this key research field? Oh,
1: it's so important. You know, we have show TV shows and documentaries and very rarely it's it's improving now, but very rarely Do you see women in these documentaries? And even more rarely, do you see women of color in these documentaries? And so it's it's really hard to be something when you haven't seen someone else like you do that thing. And I've gone to talk to groups and things like that. And I've had people, little girls come up to me and say, your hair is like me and you go in the ocean. So it's it's possible and, you know, people are made to feel like they don't belong in those spaces, that they don't belong in water, that they don't belong outdoors, and they don't belong in science. And so seeing someone who looks like them, who is in that space, lets them know, oh, I do belong there. I have every right to be there. And it's okay for me to aspire to be there because there's been people that have charted the path for me that I can follow behind because it's really it's really hard to be doing something and think that you're a lone wolf. You know, people need community to survive. And so if you're out there and you feel like you don't have community, that's going to make it even harder for you to want to to pursue something if you think you're going to have to walk the path alone. And so that's why it's it's really important to have this representation in all aspects of life but especially in in science and, and in marine conservation because the ocean is most of our planet and everyone is impacted by what goes on in the ocean whether they know it or not. And so that means that we need everyone to have a seat at the table when we start talking about some of these ocean related issues because the fact of the matter is that climate change and these things that affect the ocean Overwhelmingly affect black and brown people more, um, especially in coastal communities like where my dad is from. You know, they, the poor black community is not considered in when they make re- regulations about fishing, when they make changes to different policies, uh, when hurricanes come through. They're the ones that suffer the most, um, but they're not part of the decision making. They don't have as much of a say in how policies are made. And so that's why I think it's really important to have this representation in science and marine conservation, because everyone's voice needs to be heard because everyone is gonna be impacted by these things.
0: I've been thinking about this question for quite some time and I'm wondering if you could help me out. A great number of people, not only in the US, but the world are concerned with climate change and environmental justice. When we add that last piece, environmental justice, wouldn't it be wise to include environmental racism as well? The reason why I'm asking this is that a number of the worst climate disasters happen in underserved countries and communities. Am I am I getting that right? Is that correct?
1: Definitely. I mean, basically, environmental racism is, is an issue in which the less desirable or more dangerous places to live are often, are we have communities of color that are pushed to those places. So, for example, in, in Myrtle Beach, where my family lives, the black neighborhood is effectively on what was a landfill. The worst piece of land, the lowest lying land, um, exact, like really the most dangerous land to live on whenever a hurricane comes through because it floods. And, and the, there is a very specific reason why that was the only land available to them because no one else wanted it, because it was dangerous, because it, it, has, it is so impacted by hurricanes. And this happens everywhere. I mean, we saw during Hurricane Katrina, most of the, the neighborhoods that experienced the worst flooding were neighborhoods occupied by black and brown folks. And whenever we think about these things, we have to acknowledge that if you're going to push communities to these places and then have climate change get worse and worse and worse, they're going to be more impacted by these climate disasters. And because they are the most impacted, they should, if, if, if of all people, be most involved in the, um, Policies and things to address climate change because it's really easy for someone to push the push certain people to this area and then go well it's not my problem they're the ones who are losing their houses they're the ones that are losing their family it's not me and so this othering is is a huge problem and and at its root it's it's built on this manifest destiny, colonization, white supremacy, whatever you want to call it, of this is mine because it's the best, and you can have whatever's left, and I'm not going to help you even though I have contributed to this problem. I'm not going to, to work or include you in trying to make sure that you have a safe place to live because that's you over there, and this is me over here. And that's something we really need to address because this is we're all on one planet. And eventually it's going to impact all of us. It might impact some people first, but eventually we're all going to have to deal with this problem. And if we don't work together now, it might be too late.
0: In my introduction, I mentioned that fear of sharks was a common refrain that people use to say that they don't want to go near the water. Films like Jaws and other like-minded thrillers have also contributed to our people's not going in the ocean, and this is not without reason. During the time of bondage, as our rich aquatic history was being erased from one generation to the next. A tactic that slaveholders used to dissuade slaves from escaping was to tell them that monsters with razor-sharp teeth lived in the the rivers and oceans, who would specifically seek out black flesh. Now, though this is obviously false, it created a fear in our community that still holds today. Jasmine, how important is it to dispel the myth of man-eating sharks and other unwarranted behavior of these graceful creatures of the sea? More so, how do you all go about unlearning this behavior in your students?
1: well, it's important for for two reasons: one because if people are afraid to go in the ocean, there's a whole world that they're missing out on and and so, if you have this fear that is keeping you from doing things like snorkeling and swimming and diving. Then you are going to miss out on all of this undersea environment that's really beautiful and and really amazing to be a part of. And with accessibility issues with you know black folks and beaches being segregated and pools being segregated and everything like that, um, there is a lot of of fear of water in general, a fear of you know not being able to swim not being comfortable in the water and so if you add to that I'm also afraid of sharks uh that's just another layer that's that's keeping people from experiencing this world and learning to swim and learning to dive and learning to snorkel and getting to see things and then the second big reason is because when people are afraid of things they tend to either, one, be hostile towards them or, you know, not care about them. And so if we have a bunch of people being afraid of sharks, that leads to things like culling, where they're, they're killing sharks because they see a shark and they they say, oh, this is an evil shark or it's going to come and attack people, so we're going to kill it. Um, or it leads to, you know, us talking about, hey, the sharks are this particular shark species is going extinct and this is a big concern and people going, well, I'd rather there not be sharks in the world because sharks are scary uh, without realizing how important they are to the ecosystem and that if we do lose them, then our ecosystem as a whole suffers. And so having this fear, one, keeps people from going into the ocean and experiencing all the great things the ocean has to offer and two, leads to people wanting sharks dead or not caring about the issues that are facing sharks that are driving them towards extinction. And the way that we approach getting people to not fear sharks is by getting people to understand sharks, by letting them experience sharks outside of movies and news articles and things like that that are demonizing them. Because people aren't necessarily born with a fear of sharks. That's something that's, that's learned, that's taught through the way that people talk about sharks, the way that sharks are portrayed in movies. And so you just have to give an alternative to that. So we go with our kids and we take them to aquariums. We let them watch the sharks swimming around. We um, take them out. We let them see them um in a in a controlled environment where they feel safe. We let them um learn about them. So we tell them about different species and all of the cool things that they do and and letting them know, you know, most sharks don't even look like great whites. They're not even that big. Those sharks are less than three feet long. And then you start talking about these things and you start talking about all of the different species and all of the cool things that they do and you present it in a way that this is a cool animal um, or this is, a, this is a, a, a safe environment. We're snorkeling and there is a shark and notice that the shark isn't paying any attention to you. It's not interested in you and most of the time they're swimming away from you because they're scared of you. And just kind of reframing that thought from this shark is out to get you to this shark is an animal just like any other animal living its life, It's swimming around, minding its business, you mind your business, and we're not going to have a problem. And then also showing them they're really important to the ecosystem. They do really cool things. Um, They're really valuable parts of the marine community. And just letting them know, hey, what you have been told about sharks is an exaggeration, is a myth for entertainment, and now you've seen and interacted with sharks in real life with us, and you can take that back and say, well, now I've seen sharks firsthand, and it doesn't match what is portrayed in the movies, so that must mean the movies are an exaggeration, and then that kind of slowly walks people towards having an appreciation and respect for these animals that are just trying to live their lives. And then lastly, letting people know, you know, the threat that humans are to sharks is a much bigger threat than sharks are to humans. So I always say, you know, yes, sometimes we have negative shark people interactions. A lot of times that is because the, you know, someone has scared the shark or cornered the shark or something like that and it lashed out. Which is what we would do too. If you cornered me and I felt scared and, and, um, scared for my life, I would lash out too. Um, and you know, we do have negative interactions, but the negative interactions that we have where sharks hurt people is about 10 per year in the United States. Um, and then globally it's, it's like 20 people a year. And we have, On the flip side of that, people killing sharks, A 100 million sharks are killed by people a year. So in in an interaction where there is a shark and a human, sharks have every reason to be afraid of us. We have very little reason to be afraid of them. We are the bigger threat to sharks um, than they are to us. And it's really important to keep that in mind because, we have a huge impact on shark populations and sharks are out here just trying to live their lives just like any other animal. Um, you know, I like to tell people people get bit by the hundreds of thousands by dogs a year and we bring them into our houses and put them in cute outfits and let them sleep in our beds. If any animal is capable of lashing out if you scare it or if it feels threatened. And so it's just important to have a respect. For, you know, other creatures in this world, keep your distance, don't startle them, things like that. But if you have that respect for each other, your interactions are going to be overwhelmingly neutral and they may even be positive.
0: Talk to us about some of your programs that are set up for those who are members, specifically the Rising Tide and Science by the Sea programs.
1: So our Rising Tides program is a program where we fund research by a pair of MIS members. So this is a program that is is created to help women support women. And so a lot of times when we have mentoring, um women of color and people of color in general often have the heaviest mentoring burden because most of the time they might be the only woman in their department or they might be the only person of color in their department, and so they get a lot of people who are really needing that representation, really needing that um support from a mentor that shares some of their identities, so they end up, you know, mentoring, you know, every woman in the department or uh every other person of color in the department, and, we created this to acknowledge that that is a thing that's important it's important to have a mentor that shares your identity but it's also important that that mentor is supported in doing that and so this is a fund that uh pays a stipend to um a member that's later in their career to mentor a member that's earlier in their career so not only does the the trainee get a stipend for their work but the mentor also gets a stipend to support that uh, mentorship because we recognize that women and people of color often have the highest burden of mentorship and they're often not compensated for that extra mentorship. So we wanted to make sure they got that compensation. We also supply money for research, uh, for supplies, for publication fees, for... Traveling to conferences, whatever they want to use that pot of money for, uh, in regards to their research, they can. And so we're setting up this situation where we have a mentor, uh, and a trainee. That trainee, um, usually at their university doesn't have a woman of color that, that can mentor them, and they're really in need of that, um, or they might not. Um, have someone at their university that does the type of research that they're looking for and so we help them pair up with someone that can help them with that uh, and then we give them support to carry out a project so they can actually turn this into this mentorship into a research project which is, can then be published which then helps them move up in their careers and so we have two pairs of of mentor mentees who are going through the program right now and it's it's very exciting, and then, for our science by the sea, that program is geared towards people even younger, so the k through twelve folks and This is a program where we bring um, kids and teens out to a local county park and we teach them about their ecosystem, their coastal ecosystem, and so these are people that um, come from a variety of sources. We've got people from the Boys and Girls Club. We've got people from various um, nonprofits in the area that work with teens. And we bring them out and we show them, hey, did you know about all of these things that are, you know, right here? Uh We've got, we work through, So we show them the different fish and invertebrates that live in our our waters. We talk to them about watersheds and how what they do on land impacts the water. And we do some engineering and some coding to learn how marine scientists build uh, remotely operated vehicles to look underwater and do all of these things. And so it's about building environmental stewardship, giving people access to the ocean, giving people access to hands-on science in a way that's fun, and that is, it gives them an opportunity to learn about marine science from people who look like them, and you know, ties in that representation piece. So, not only are they getting science in a way that they might not get in school, um, not only are they learning about the importance of environmental stewardship, but they're learning all of these things from people that they hopefully can see themselves in and say, oh, you know, this, is, this isn't just a white people thing. This is something that I can have access to. This is something that I can be a part of. Um, and so that's basically what Science by the Sea is all about.
0: And finally, if folks would like to get involved by directly working with your organization or they'd like to contribute financially, where can they go to find out more information?
1: You can visit our website at www.misselasmo.org or you can find us on social media. So we are on Twitter and Instagram at M-I-S-S underscore E-L-A-S-M-O and you can also find us on Facebook by searching Minorities in Shark Sciences and on YouTube by searching Minorities in Shark Sciences.
0: And we are going to have to leave it there. Our guest today has been Jasmine Graham, co founder of Minorities and Shark Sciences. She received her Master's of Science in Biological Sciences from Florida State University. In addition, she specializes in elasmobrac ecology and evolution. Her past research interests include small tooth sawfish movement ecology and hammerhead shark phylogeny. Jasmine Graham, we wish you and your family health and safety during these challenging times in our country. And thank you so much for joining us today on Crossing the Lane Lines. Thank you. You've been listening to Crossing the Lane Lines, which is produced by the Black Swim Collective at our studios in San Francisco, California. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe on Spotify, Anchor, or wherever you receive your podcast. From all of us here, We thank you so much for your support. And remember, no lives matter until Black Lives Matter. In San Francisco, this is Najee Ali for Crossing the Lane Lines. Signing off.